You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Thinking about as parents and grandparents, one of the first things you discover is that there is a difference in your kids between a want and a need. Now, kids don't see it that way. They think everything is a need. Like if your kid comes up to you at bedtime and says, I need a Mountain Dew. (laughs) That's not a need, right? They may want a Mountain Dew, but you're like thinking, no, you're not getting a Mountain Dew, especially not at bedtime. So kids think they know what they need. It's not what they need. It's just what they want. What we're learning about Jesus is people keep coming to him and they're like, here's what we want. And he's like, no, here's what you need. And you're going to see today, and the big idea is sometimes the Jesus you want is not the Jesus you need. We're going through the Gospel of John this year. We're uh, picking the story back up in chapter 7. This is verse 25. At At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem, so the crowds now that have gathered, began to ask, about Jesus, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Now, this may surprise you. All Jesus has done is love people, heal people, feed people, and they want to kill him because he keeps saying he's God. It's the most controversial part of Jesus in his earthly life. He keeps telling us he's God. They keep trying to kill him for saying that. So the people continue. Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. It's like we know where Jesus is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, he will perform more signs than this man. The Jesus they want is the genie Jesus. You know, the one that you tell, hey, here's what I need, Jesus. Here's what I want. And there it is. He's at your command. He's at your beck and call. It is granted for you all the time. What they really liked about him is at a wedding feast, he turned water into wine. Yeah, we like free wine, Jesus. And then he took the loaves and fish and fed a multitude. We like free food, Jesus. He heals people. We like free health care, Jesus. At this point, everyone would sign up for that. He's popular. This is the Jesus they want. They want him to meet their physical needs, not their spiritual need. They want him to minister to their body, not their soul. Fix their life, not talk about eternal life. That's the Jesus they want. But what they need is the real Jesus who is their Savior. 
You see, these two things go together. They need the teaching that Jesus is providing to give them an understanding of who God is and who they are so they can understand how to have a relationship with him and therefore be saved. You see, the number one problem for all of us is the eternal relationship with God. And Jesus comes not just to minister to the body, but also to the soul, not just to improve life, but to give eternal life, not just to hand out the things we want, but to give us the things we truly need. He does that by preaching. He's telling them who he is and who they are. He does it by evangelizing. He's, he's seeking them out. He's trying to save them. But there's resistance. And there's always going to be resistance when the Bible is taught. So here's one question for you today. What is it that you want from Jesus? And is that what you really need from Jesus? These people are willing to take from him, but they're not willing to receive from him. Now, a large part of this may be because they had a certain expectation of who the Messiah, God's anointed one, was going to be like when he comes. They reasoned that he would show up in a certain place in a certain way and do certain things to prove to the world that he was setting up an earthly kingdom where Jerusalem was going to be the headquarters of this earthly kingdom. And he was going to be sitting on a throne where he is going to be ruling over all nations on the earth in such a way that every enemy of Israel would be put down forever. But when the true Messiah came, Jesus, the Messiah, God's son, he didn't fit into any of their charts, not into their mold. The debate they're having is where is, where does this one come from? Now, the prophecy in the Old Testament would be that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like the Bible promised. For a brief time in his early years, Jesus and his family lived in Egypt because at the time of his birth, a, a, the madman King Herod that was in charge gave the decree that all male babies should be put to death. Jesus was to come out of, the Messiah was to come out of Egypt. Well, guess what? That too is prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled that. But ultimately, where does he come from? He tells us from heaven that he'll come from God the Father. Jesus is making this radical claim that is unprecedented. The claim is that he has come down from heaven. What he's saying is he is eternal. He is without beginning or end, that he rules and reigns in eternity past with God the Father, and he has come into human history. And they miss it. They miss it because they're all about debating and arguing and disagreeing. Next verse, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. It's like, man, there's a buzz about Jesus, you know, like, who is he? And, and we've heard about him. Well, then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus was controversial then. Jesus is still controversial. Jesus fed people. 
Jesus healed people. But the opposition to Jesus was because of his declaration that he was God. Come down from heaven to be with us. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Where will he go where our people have scattered, living among the Greeks and, and teach the Greeks? They're wondering, okay, is Jesus moving? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come? He's talking about the ministry of presence. They're arguing about where he came from. And Jesus says, here's where I've come from. I've come from God the Father. Remember when we first opened the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. It begins by telling us of the ministry of presence that God is indeed with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God the Father and God the Son, they were together forever with one another. And then in chapter 1, verse 14, we read, the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh. This is God with us. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus, who is present with God the Father, comes down to the earth to be present with us, and he brings the presence of God to the people of this world. And they're not listening. They're arguing with him. You know, we do this all the time. Jesus, you're not doing what I, what, what I want you to do. And Jesus said, well, that's a want. It's not a need. Well, Jesus, I disagree with what you're up to. And he would say, well, then you're wrong. We do the same thing that these people do. And he reminds them, I was present with the Father I am here present with you now. Let's work on this relationship. Let's do life together. And then he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he's speaking of the fact that he is going to go to the cross and die in our place for our sins. And then he's going to demonstrate his resurrection for 40 days. And then he's going to return to the Father. And what he's saying is, you cannot go because you don't have a relationship with me. I need you to know that a relationship with Jesus is an eternal relationship. It begins the moment you meet him and it continues forever. What Jesus is telling them is, I can be present with you, but you need to make a decision to be present with me. I know that Jesus has been active in your life. Now, I don't know how, when, where, but I know that he has because I know that he is good. I, and I know that Jesus wants a relationship with you. I know that he wants to be present with you and he wants you to be present with him. And he wants that relationship to continue even after you die. So much so that he is gone 
into the Father's presence to prepare a place for you so that you can be present with Jesus and the Heavenly Father forever. So Jesus makes this invitation, but you've got to respond to it. And Jesus gives us example after example. In John's gospel, we've already seen Jesus encounter and invite Nicodemus into a relationship. We saw where Jesus stops in Samaria at a well in the heat of the day to talk to a woman in conversation to get her to be in a relationship with him. We see it time and time again with the crowds. They're not listening to him. They're arguing with him. They're not embracing him. They're rejecting him. They're not trying to follow him. They're trying to control him. Jesus is here practicing the ministry of presence. He's physically present, emotionally present, spiritually present. He's present, and then he tells them, he says, I'm here with you, but I'm not going to be here forever. Eventually, I'm going to go home. And I would like for you to be present with me there, but if you're not present with me here, you will not be present with me there. This is about getting time in, the, in God's presence to make this relationship a priority. And I realize that some of you may not even know what that looks like. This is where you take a break from all your other relationships. You take a break from your to-do list and you devote all of your energy into that relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about hours. Start with 10, 15 minutes a day. Read the Bible. Pray. Some people like to journal in this time with the Lord, and they're writing down questions and observations. If you need a place to start with the Bible, <laughs> a strong place to start is the book that we're in right now, which is the Gospel of John. You could read a chapter a day, and that'd be three weeks' worth. There's 21 chapters. Or you could read a portion. I don't always read an entire chapter every day. Sometimes it's just a section because I really want to focus on, okay, what is this section telling me? God, what are you saying to me through this? What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to be hearing? And, and, and how do I put this into, into action? Those are observations and, and questions. And then you pray, you sing, you, you find ways in which you need to confess so that you can grow in your walk with Christ. What are the decisions you need God's help with? Pray, sing, journal, whatever works for you. Invite God's presence in. And then your presence with the Lord will inform and give clear direction for you to be present with others, especially your spouse and family. And let me say this, God loves you and he even likes hanging out with you. Spending time in God's presence allows him to minister to you because he wants a relationship with you. The story goes on. On the last and greatest day of the festival. So what we learned last week when we started hearing about this festival, it's called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Uh, it said it was a week-long celebration. And it was held every year to remind God's people of what their ancestors went through when they had left Egypt under that slavery. God led them out of Egypt. And in all those years of wandering through the desert, 
through the wilderness, God provided for them. He provided water in the desert. He provided food every day. He provided guidance to get them to their eventual promised land. That's where he was guiding them. So for a week, they would remember this every year by living in tents outside. So if you like God and camping, this is the holiday for you. On that last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. This is not just sustenance for the body. He's talking about something deeper. He goes on. He says, whoever believes in me, well, there's the key. Do you believe in Jesus? That's the issue. They saw Jesus and didn't believe in him. They heard from Jesus and didn't believe in him. So the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That is bringing life and refreshment and, and, and healing. By this, he met the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Uh, in other words, God the Father has sent God the Son, and then when God the Son came, he is then going to send God the Holy Spirit. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't ever around prior to Jesus' giving him on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was involved in the Old Testament but only on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. But once Jesus dies and rises and returns to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit upon every believer. We now have the ongoing person and presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says things like, I will never leave you, I, I will always be with you, he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that he is sending. Here's what Jesus is also saying in this section. The world is a desert for your soul. Some of you have tried to find nourishment, life, sustenance in, in relationships, in politics, in morality, in spirituality, in academia, in work. And what you find is that you are dissatisfied because in this world there is nothing but a desert for the human soul. If you are living in a desert like a lot of these people were, water represents life. And Jesus offers rivers of living water. Your body cannot function without water. It gets dehydrated and dies. Your soul cannot function without the Holy Spirit. It too would get dehydrated and dies within you. If you try to find nourishment for your soul in a desert, all you're going to drink in is sand, not fresh water. And what Jesus says is quite remarkable, and that is, as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, the life of God will start to exist in you in the very depths of your soul. You will become a person increasingly experiencing the life of God so that you can be a life-giving person 
to others. And what we have seen in John's gospel, people that are coming up to Jesus, they're life-taking. They're not life-giving. They are taking his time. They're taking his energy. They're taking his life from him. Ultimately, they want to take his life. Jesus comes to give life and to make you a person who is life-giving so that you can give life to others. And you know what? That's the key to all your relationships. It will change your friendships. It will change your work relationships. It will change your marriage. It will change the way you parent. You can forgive if you are in the flow of the Holy Spirit. You can love if you are in the flow of the Holy Spirit. You can bless if you are in the flow of the Holy Spirit. That God will take his life and put it in you, and then it will flow through you to others. Just like if a river were to flow through a desert, what follows in its wake? Life. So you will find as you are filled with the Spirit that as the Spirit flows through you, brings life into you, life flows out of you onto others. Now you're going to see how people respond to this. They're going to make their decision about who Jesus is. You've got to make your decision about who Jesus is for you. So Jesus teaches, he loves, he serves. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. They're like, you know what? Jesus is teaching the truth. We think he is exactly who he says he is. Because when he speaks, we hear God. Others said, similarly, he's the Messiah. Yeah, he's he's the anointed one. He's the one we've been waiting for. But still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? He's not fitting into our charts. You know, if you don't want to believe in Jesus, any stupid argument will do. Yeah, I said stupid in church. Jesus has just told them who he is. He has just shown them who he is. And if you don't want to believe in Jesus, any old argument will do. They continue. Does not scripture say, now this is really weird. They're going to use scripture to argue against Jesus. Guess what? The whole Bible is about Jesus. Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Yes, that's true. That's exactly what it says. And that's who Jesus is. Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Does this division still continue? People still divided over Jesus? Yes. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Hey, where's Jesus? We sent you to arrest him. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. It's like, well, we were going to arrest him, but it seems like maybe he, we think he's exactly who he says he is. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? So now it's slander, it's ridicule, it's peer pressure. They continue, no, 
But this mob, this group, this crowd that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Look, we're the biblical ones. They're not. We understand the word of God. They don't. Well, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, you might remember his story from chapter 3, and was one of their own number. In other words, he was also a Pharisee, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? So Nicodemus is like, okay, before we shoot him, why don't we talk to him? You know what's amazing is some of you may be in the same boat. You've heard a lot about Jesus, but you haven't heard directly from Jesus. Some people quote everyone else's opinion about Jesus, but they haven't taken the time to investigate Jesus for themselves. Final verse from our section. They replied, are you from Galilee too? In other words, talking to Nicodemus. Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee, which is not entirely true. <laughs> Jonah an Old Testament prophet had come from the region of Galilee. But their argument, you know, they weren't going to remember that or they weren't going to expose that because it didn't fit their, their narrative. And when it comes to Jesus, the most important decision you'll ever make is what you think about Jesus. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked this question, who do you say that I am? The most important thing about you is what you think of Jesus. The most important decision you will ever make is whether or not you believe in Jesus. He is the most significant person in the history of the world. The person about whom more books have been written because there are more opinions regarding him than anyone who has ever lived in the history of the world. And everyone has their opinions of him, but you need to make a decision. And you need to live with the consequences of that decision. So let me share with you some of what we've heard thus far in John's gospel. John chapter 1. Jesus is revealed as the word of God, as being eternal, the creator, the light of the world, the Lord, the Christ, the giver of the Holy Spirit, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man. John chapter 2, he is the temple of God's presence on earth. He is the son of God the Father. He is a miracle worker. John chapter 3, he is a rabbi or teacher, the son of man, the son of God, the Savior, the Christ, the one from heaven, the one who delivers us from the wrath of God. John chapter 4, he is the prophet who tells the truth and brings us the word of God. He is the Messiah who came to seek and serve and save. He is the rabbi who comes to instruct and correct. He is the savior of the world and the healer of the body and the soul. In John chapter 5, he is again the healer. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is equal with God the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the Son of Man and the center of all Scripture and history. In John chapter 5, he gives bread. He walks on water. He reveals himself as the bread of life who has come down from heaven. In John chapter 7, he is revealed as the teacher who tells us about God and about ourselves. He is the miracle worker and the savior. He is the truth-telling prophet, the delivering Christ, and he is the object of our faith. In other words, Jesus, this Jesus 
is the one you need. And let me say this. We are going to respond to him. We are going to invite the presence of God. We are going to enjoy the presence of God. I don't know what burden you bring. Hand it to Jesus. I don't know what fear you have. Hand it to Jesus. I don't know what regret you carry. Carry it to the cross. Give it to the one who died in your place for your sins so that you can be forgiven. Some of you need healing. Some of you need hope. Some of you need help. Some of you are discouraged and you need refreshment. Some of you are exhausted and weary. You need the real Jesus. And you really need him to give you the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who gives you the life of God. He'll give you the passion of God. He'll give you the hope of God. He'll give you the joy of God. And Jesus wants to meet you now. And he invites you into a presence so that he can minister to you, so that he can serve you and help you and heal you and refresh you and encourage you. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one who is equal to Jesus. You're never going to get another invitation like the one that Jesus gives. Sin, gone. The presence of God, given. Burden, lifted. Hope, encouraged. Resurrection and eternal life in the presence of God forever. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.